For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. You know, all my friends have been asking me since I got it, you know, almost daily check-ins via text. Like, how you feeling today? Is everything going good? <laughs> everything going good? Or you have any symptoms? And I've been asymptomatic since I got the shot. Honestly, couldn't have even have told you that I got it other than just being aware that I did it. I didn't even feel bad or fatigued or sick the next day at all. We took a break from the podcast, but said we might come back. And here we are. Cases are surging throughout the country, but there's light at the end of the tunnel now that the FDA has approved two COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. Today, we hear from AL.com reporter Sarah Weitz Kotacek, who has reported on the pandemic for months and has focused on the vaccine's arrival and distribution in Alabama. And we also talked to Dr. Blake Lovely, an emergency physician at DCH Regional Medical Center, who is among the first people to receive the Pfizer vaccine in Tuscaloosa. The first doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine arrived at three Alabama hospitals last week as a part of a nationwide rollout to frontline healthcare workers. The first vaccines were administered last Tuesday morning at Southeast Health in Dothan, as hospitals around the state announced plans to begin distributing immunizations later in the day. A 94-year-old World War II veteran and prisoner of war received the first COVID-19 vaccine in Birmingham the same day at the VA Medical Center. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey received her vaccination this week at Baptist Medical Center South in Montgomery to send a message to other Alabamians to do the same when they have the opportunity. My colleague Sarah Weitz Kotacek reported that the CDC decided which groups should take priority for vaccination in the months ahead. Alabama plans to follow those guidelines, but must determine things like who exactly will be included within the broad professional groups classified as essential workers and how the timetable will work for distributing the vaccine. So the vaccine is here, which is great news, but the logistics for distribution are complicated. Alabama's health officials learned late last week that about 20,000 Pfizer vaccines slated for arrival for this week's shipment were not coming, with Alabama Health Officer Scott Harris saying, quote, there's just not enough product to go around, and there's not as much as they were anticipating. Sarah also reported on Sunday that the first batch of Moderna vaccine was on its way to Alabama, and more shipments are expected in the days to come. The first batch is part of the state's initial 84,000-dose allotment of the Moderna vaccine. As of Monday, Alabama added another 2,380 coronavirus cases to its total. According to the Department of Public Health, the state is up to 324,832 confirmed cases since March, including 4,389 deaths. I spoke to Sarah Weitz Kotacek about who in Alabama will receive the first doses of the COVID-19 vaccines and what the timetable looks like for everyone else as we approach a year into the pandemic. Sarah, you wrote a piece for AL.com called When Will Alabamians Get a Vaccine? And it's about how the CDC's recommendations for which groups should take priority for vaccination in the months ahead. So how does the CDC come up with these recommendations and how will they guide Alabama's approach to the vaccination? There's a panel at the CDC of scientists making decisions and making those recommendations. And then the uh, director of the CDC uh, approves them and the states mostly adopt them and Alabama plans to adopt them. We have one uh, doctor from UAB who's a liaison to this group. Uh, he's a pediatrician, Dr. David Kimberlin. Um, and so he isn't necessarily making uh, decisions, but he's involved in the conversations and is making recommendations and 
and has been speaking to us at AL.com sort of about how this is unfolding and, and why this panel has, has come to the conclusions that it has. And in the article, you provided an estimated rollout timetable for who gets a shot and when. And obviously, when this all started last week, we saw coverage from various hospitals throughout the state. We saw at the Birmingham VA, we saw war veterans and former POWs in their 90s getting the vaccine, obviously frontline healthcare workers getting it. So what does the timetable currently say right now? Who's getting the vaccine? Yeah, so like the news that I wrote about today, the panel clarified something that had been up in the air, which is, are we in the United States going to prioritize the elderly or essential workers next? So we we already had, they already had determined a few weeks ago that the very first people to get the vaccine will be frontline healthcare workers and, and then all healthcare workers, along with nursing home residents. And uh, that's underway right now. Um, and so the question that they that they decided uh, was was how is it going to uh, go after after that point? And um, now we're starting to have a clear sense of how much vaccine is going to be available in the weeks ahead and who it's going to go to. So after uh, the next few weeks, depending on you know when the doses arrive in the state, because um, there have been some delays on that front, healthcare workers and and nursing homes will will get immunized those those people there who want that. And then the next group will be uh, essential frontline workers. Uh, those are uh, workers in professions that the C- CDC has also um, laid out, and also uh, people who are 75 years and above. What are some examples of essential frontline workers? Who qualifies there? So this is part of the, this compromise. I, I think it's kind of interesting because if you see the um, the vaccine rollout in Britain, you might have noticed that that they're putting the elderly first, um, and the United States had had planned to put essential workers first, uh, and they've narrowed that the group of essential workers that are being first now to bring in more elderly people and to prioritize only frontline essential workers, which includes first responders, which is firefighters and police, teachers, uh, anyone in education, including daycare workers food and agriculture, manufacturing, prison workers, postal service workers, uh, public transit workers, and grocery store workers. So people who are either fighting COVID or are in industries that have been hit really hard by COVID, like um, manufacturing or agriculture. And so that covers, what, January and February or December and in, in January? Yes. Yeah, so I did the math. Um, there's, you know, about 20 million vaccines in December, and that's the number of people who can be vaccinated because there's two doses. About uh, 30 million in January, about 50 million coming in uh, February. That's a combination of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, the two that have been approved, and that's for the whole country. And then I did the math on the number of people in each of these categories and broke it down by when can each group of people expect to get the vaccine. So in December and January, it's likely going to be uh, essential frontline workers and people above the age of 75. So December will finish up with all healthcare workers and nursing home residents that want this, and that might push push into January. Um, And then in January, it will be essential frontline workers, 
and uh, people above 75. And then by mid-January into February, depending on how many people want the vaccine, how, how the distribution process goes, uh, we might get to essential workers. And then the next group, along with essential workers who are not quote-unquote frontline workers, uh, which is part of the compromise I had mentioned before, will be any American over the age of 65. People who have high-risk conditions, uh, medical conditions, and who are above the age of 16, and then and essential workers, as I mentioned. So by February, if all goes well, people who are above the age of 65, anyone with a high risk because of a medical condition, or people in the essential worker category who are deemed essential workers, but not frontline workers. Um, so here's, here's the high-risk medical conditions. Obesity, diabetes, COPD, heart conditions, there's about 10 of them. Uh, and we have that on the website. Um, but, and then, you know, for essential workers who are not frontline workers, it, it's uh, professions like food service, finance, media, uh, legal, services, it's, these are rather broad, broad categories that this state is going to have to drill down and clarify like how to prioritize within that group if there's still more demand than supply when we get to that point. Finally, Sarah, in your article, it mentions that the Alabama Department of Public Health, there is a timetable for when the vaccines will be available to the general public. So, Dr. Harris, uh, the state health officer, he has said uh, for some time now that he hopes the vaccine will be available to everyone by the summer. So with some caveats that uh, this, the vaccines haven't been tested in, in people under the age of 16 yet, and those, those tests are underway now. But um, So that is something that would have to be resolved before, like, say, children could be vaccinated. Um, but just looking at like the number of vaccines that that the nation has and the number of people in these groups, it doesn't seem to me like impossible that 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 everyone would have access by this summer, based on these categories. I also spoke to Dr. Blake Lovely an emergency physician, about already receiving the vaccine, why this will strengthen the healthcare workforce in the fight against COVID, and why people should feel comfortable taking the shot despite the spread of misinformation related to the vaccine. When did you find out that you'd be among the first to get the vaccine here in Tuscaloosa, and, and how did you feel about that when you learned it? Well, I guess... You know, always as part of the kind of the frontline healthcare workers, we knew that that group was going to be the, the first one to get it, the shot. So, I mean, I knew I would be kind of among that group. And kind of since coronavirus, my role on the coronavirus task force has been, I've done a lot of work helping with uh, our kind of external testing facility. So, if you've gotten a, a test at our external testing facility, I'm the one who ordered it. So, you got that under under my name. So, I've done a lot of work out there, and our nurses are the ones that are working to get the vaccine set up. Um, so whenever I knew that I was going to be one of the first ones to get it, I was excited. Honestly, I kind of wished I could have given it to my mom or grandmother or something like that, but I understand how important it is for the frontline healthcare workers to get it. I, I know at one point this year we had, you know, 80 or 100 people, uh, nurses and staff out with coronavirus. And 
if the healthcare workers aren't healthy to take care of the people that are sick, then we're really in bad trouble. So it's important to keep all the frontline healthcare workers healthy and not infected so they can take care of everybody that is sick. And then, you know, obviously next, get it to the vulnerable populations. So I understand you're an emergency room physician. Could you tell me a little bit about what you do as it relates to working on the front lines, as it relates to COVID-19 specifically? Yeah, well, I mean, I remember when we first started seeing coronavirus, uh, you know, back eight months ago, the pathology was interesting. You know, you have people come in with this kind of, we call it a, a silent, silent or a happy hypoxia where their oxygen levels would be way lower than it should be, but they wouldn't feel all that bad. But then they're, you know, you look up and their oxygen saturation would be 78%. And the pathology of it was interesting. They'd always have these kind of broad kind of pneumonia that's diffused through both lungs. And actually working on the front lines, you know, now we have, you usually just kind of come to work and do your thing. And now you have to come and put on all this safety gear and all these different masks and face shields. And it's just heavier and the whole day's heavier. And it's, it's a much harder day now than it was pre-coronavirus. And, you know, you're hot and you're sweaty. And the sooner we can get out of all this safety gear and back to a normal world, the happier we'll all be. Uh, I know that. And it's getting now to where you're almost, uh, you know, a good percentage of our patients are COVID positive. So you may come in. We found patients that are, you know, coming in for, you know, back pain or came in because they were in a car wreck. And uh, on their x-ray, we see, you know, they come in for a car wreck and we do a chest x-ray and we see this multifocal pneumonia on their chest x-ray for a trauma and it turns out they have coronavirus and just really didn't feel that bad with it. So we're seeing it all over the place now and so we really have to just be assume everybody has it and wear you know protective gear and be safe with every patient encounter. Well you mentioned that it's so important for healthcare workers to be healthy as they're taking care of people who have COVID, I mean, has that been an issue thus far in terms of where you work? I mean, ha- have a lot of healthcare folks been sick? Have they tested positive? And has that tested the staff in terms of its ability to care for people? And what kind of difference is it going to make if and when everybody is vaccinated and y'all have the full workforce at your disposal to take care of folks? Yeah, good question. I think it's been a, a mixed bag to this point. I will say that we almost all expected to get it kind of right at the beginning we just assumed we would all catch it we weren't sure how contagious it was and i think we were much more anxious about it at the beginning and then we realized i think atul Gawande wrote a great article in the new yorker uh analyzing kind of the, the health data the outcomes data and if you follow good droplet precautions our infection rates have actually been really low in the hospital in fact most of the people that uh Certainly, when the physicians get it, most of the physicians that have gotten it have actually gotten it outside of the hospital, either through family or wherever else. And actually, we're so safe on shift that the number infected on shift has actually been, not that some haven't gotten infected on shift, it's just the number that's infected on shift is actually lower than people that have called it out, kind of in the more general public. But it's absolutely put a strain on how do we staff those shifts whenever one of the doctors comes down with coronavirus and then we have to... You know, somebody has to be there for all those shifts they had scheduled for the next, you know, month. So we have to, you know, scramble around and try to get it filled in. And it's absolutely put a strain on the nursing staff and uh, the physician staff trying to fill all those holes when people have gotten sick. Yeah, and so you got your shot in public. There was media there to see you get it. And so the hope there is obviously 
to perhaps influence and inspire other people to feel comfortable about getting one of the vaccines. So why should people feel comfortable with getting this or another FDA-approved vaccine? There are obviously going to be people who are concerned about the safety of it, and not necessarily anti-vaxxers, although they're included there, but those skeptical just about the speed of the process and making and distributing the vaccine. What would you say to anybody that's reluctant to get the shot? Yeah, I think there's a lot of skepticism. And honestly, I can understand some skepticism. I think there's been a lot of skepticism related to kind of COVID in general for the last eight months. I think some of it's just from where we've all had to be kind of a little more isolated for the last eight months. We've all kind of been locked away in our houses. And, you know, you never know when we have too much time alone. We may not always be the most logical. But I think the healthcare workers getting the injection first is actually helping a lot. I know before people actually started getting the vaccine, there was a lot of misinformation and kind of negativity floating around. But I've seen it kind of dissolve a little more with each day as people know, as you know, people that have gotten injection. And certainly with me, you know, all my friends have been asking me since I got it, you know, almost daily check-ins via text. Like, how are you feeling today? Is everything going good? <laughs> everything going good? Are you having any symptoms? And I've been asymptomatic since I've gotten the shot. I honestly couldn't have even have told you that I got it other than just being aware that I did it. I didn't even feel bad or fatigued or sick the next day at all. Maybe a little bit of arm soreness, but that was about it. So I think the healthcare, the frontline healthcare workers getting it, I think that alone is helping kind of move the population and so a lot of that misinformation back toward a more normal place. And I'm actually really excited about uh, how fast we got this vaccine out. I think um, the technology they used to get this mRNA vaccine We've had this technology and been working on it and studying it probably for the last 18 or 20 years. And it's something we may see for even fighting cancer in the future. You may end up getting a vaccine to help get your immune system to fight an individualized cancer that you have. So you may get find out that you have some kind of cancer and then they can quickly create an mRNA vaccine to have your own immune system attack that cancer that you have. So this could be something we see in cancer treatment uh, in the future as well. So the technology is interesting, but certainly for this particular use case, we know that it's safe and effective. I will say that, you know, normally there's a lot of hoops and uh, things that vaccines have to go through before they're fully approved. And when they've done all the first 12 months of, re- or the first, you know, 10 or 12 months of research and data and following these patients along, but we don't have four years of research and data. So the questions that we don't have answers to are not, is it safe or not? I think we have the answer to that. Certainly it's safe for all the people it's gotten and it's been shown to be safe and effective. It's more questions like how long does immunity last with this kind of vaccine? And like I said, there there are questions that still need to be answered since we don't have as much studying and data, but certainly safety and efficacy are not are not questions that are still on the table. As far as you know, how long until all healthcare workers in Tuscaloosa, including your hospital in DCH Regional Medical Center are vaccinated. And and just in terms of like the short term, obviously the long term, we hope that vaccinations get rid of COVID to a degree and and we can return to what seems like normal again at some point. But in the short term, how does this change Tuscaloosa in terms of making that transition? Yeah, uh, not a lot, actually. So I guess we have 2,900 doses. It's certainly not enough to have an impact on the trajectory of the spread or to slow that curve. You know, we're seeing a pretty rapid rise nationwide right now with the cold weather. They're not going to roll out enough to be impactful enough to stop what we're seeing over this holiday season. It's going to take until, you know, January, into January before probably even all the healthcare people are 
are vaccinated. So then you're looking at March or April before most of the general population has gotten vaccination. And then even once you get vaccinated, it takes about seven days from the first vaccination. We see about 55% of people are showing immunity to the virus. And then you get the second dose 21 days later. And then seven days after that, you get that 95% efficacy. So it takes nearly a full month from the first injection to immunity. So that's a you know, that's a long time from first dose to we actually see immunity in the healthcare population or in the general population. So I, certainly I think that the vaccine doses are, are limited. And if you, somebody gets, if you get a chance to take it, I would jump on it when I have the opportunity and kind of stay on top of it. Well, Dr. Lovely, thank you so much. I appreciate you um, trying to help spread some of the, you know, factual information about the virus. I think it's much as much fact as we can get out, the better, so we can fight, combat some of the disinformation. Because the faster we can get everybody vaccinated, the faster we can get to a more normal world. You know, at least for now, even after you're vaccinated, you still have to wear a mask because we don't know what. Once you're vaccinated, can you still spread the virus? And like I said, there's still a lot of questions we're going to be answering over the next few months. But I'm certainly excited to get back toward a more normal world where we can start to hang out with each other again and have normal holidays and that kind of stuff. If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.